Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thank you, Annette. And before we get into this week's dose of inspiration, just want to remind everyone to find us on your socials. So at, this is to confuse you especially, but on Facebook and Instagram, we are two different things. So uh, Facebook, we're Awards Australia. And on Instagram, you can find us at inspirational.australians. Go find us because there's lots of good content on there about uh, a lot of the people we're featuring on the podcast. Plus the Young Achiever Awards are in full swing at the moment. And there's some great stories uh, of the young people that we're recognising and celebrating through those awards. So jump on there, check it out. And if you know an inspirational Australian that you think should be on the podcast, please tell us. Email us, info at awardsaustralia.com. And lastly, please do jump on to subscribe the podcast, whether you're on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so that latest episode's coming in. And uh, if you'd rate and review as well, it'd really help us to uh, get these stories out to more people. And uh, that's what it's all about, just trying to provide a bit of inspiration for people each week. So on to this week's guest, we've got Jess Manuela. And uh, I'm really excited to speak to Jess because um, I guess with the awards programs that we run at Awards Australia, there's, you know, there's three kind of um, groups of people that we that we deal with, that we work closely with to deliver the awards. Firstly, it's the nominees, the people who have been entered into the awards uh, and where the whole point of the programs is to celebrate their stories. Number two, there's the judges who help us, you know, they give us a lot of their time and efforts to uh, judge the awards. Um, the judging process takes over a month, usually 30 plus people involved. So it is quite an effort. And thirdly, there's the award sponsors who without their support financially uh, and promotion and in a lot of different ways, we wouldn't be able to run the awards. So they're crucial. Now, Jess is all three of those people, which is incredible. Jess was a winner in 2017. In fact, she was the Premier's Young Achiever of the Year for Tasmania, also winning the St. Luke's Health Healthier Communities Award in that year. Jess has been on our judging panel since that time. And now Jess, as uh, with her business, Dental South, is now a sponsor, sponsoring the First Nations Award as part of the Tasmanian Young Achiever Award. So Jess, welcome this morning, this afternoon it is now actually, and uh, thanks for your time. How are you doing today? Hi, Jess. Thanks for that big intro. Um, yeah, I'm doing really well, but I suppose before we kick off, I'd just like to acknowledge the land that I'm speaking to you from today. It's a land of the Muanina people in Lechuaita, and I'd like to pay my respects to the elders of the past, present and in the future and acknowledge that the connection to land and spirituality is as strong as it has ever been. Uh, but yeah, my day's been good. Thank you. No, no worries. It's a great place to start. So where where am I speaking to you from? Uh, my Tasmanian geography is horrible. I'm so sorry. So um, I'm on the land of the Muanina people. I live in Margate, which is about 20 minutes south of Hobart. Yep. And it's a good point for me as well, actually, to look up the where I'm um, actually, what land I'm on, because in Melbourne, there's two main um groups that you know we should be acknowledging there's um the Wurundjeri people which is in the more metro Melbourne typically that's where I would acknowledge but in my home I actually don't know so thank you for bringing that up I'm actually going to write a note right now and I'm going to look that up because I think that is a good thing to uh to acknowledge that from moving forward 
So Jess, I wanted to ask you first off the bat is uh, one of the things I wanted to ask was, you know, since 2017, when we first got to kind of meet you at the Young Achiever Awards event to now, you know, that's been a four or five year um, kind of time period. And that was pretty incredible. Dr. Jessica Manuela is your full name, is we were celebrating you as uh, a dentist, as someone who volunteered a lot of your time uh, and your effort, someone who was working with students in schools, community information sessions. You know, you were doing so many things. Now, fast forwarding, I guess what's changed since 2017, do you think? When I first got the award in to April 2017 I wasn't expecting it actually it was quite a big shock um and since then it was quite a full-on year for me actually because I then received the Tasmanian Young Australian of the Year Award and then the um, Telstra Young Business uh, Woman Award in 2018 so it was a really really big year and I suppose like how things had changed for me personally well I got a lot of I suppose, media exposure and opportunities to speak about the things which are important to me, so relevant to dentistry but also um, relevant to my passion for, I suppose, young people learning and also about um, my thoughts around um, the impacts on our First Nations people. So I was given a pretty big platform to uh, speak about things which are important and other than that, sort of my life, my life was pretty full on at that time, actually. I was going through a pretty big personal breakup, which oh, no really? one knew about. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was putting a brave face on a lot, going to all these sort of engagements, but I was actually trying to um, separate from a long-term partner, which is very, very, yeah, it was very stressful, actually. Um, so my life has changed in the way that um, I'm free of a lot of baggage from about that time and um, my businesses are going really well I've got two one in Blackman's Bay and one in Margate and I think what has helped me a lot is I've really started to um, be proud of my identity as a First Nations person I think that's been a big thing that's changed for me where I'm a lot more proud and outspoken about my thoughts about things uh, with regards to First Nations people and how things are currently in Australia. That's been a big shift for me, which I'm proud of. Mm, for sure. That would be um, the parallels with uh, someone I spoke to this morning for the podcast, a, a transgender man. You know, we're talking about two different complete things, but identity is just the core of, uh, of you know, self-worth, of um, being comfortable with yourself. And uh, that's as true for, for you and I as anyone. Definitely. <laughs> so um, did, you know, this kind of experience is being involved with, you know, three different awards that you're talking about in that time span and going through a big personal, you know, stressful situation. Did those kind of, that's four things there that would probably require lots of reflection and, you know, looking back and hearing lots of things about yourself in terms of the awards programs. Yeah. Did that help or hinder, do you think, with, uh, with that I, I feel like things happen when they're meant to, even if you don't really know if you were prepared at the time. With regards to getting so much recognition, it was really great. A part of me with hindsight thinks, oh, I wish I had got these awards two years later because um, I would have been in such a better headspace to be able to give a lot more. Um, but I think at that point in time, under a lot of stress, 
my personal life. It was probably what I needed to realise I am important. Um, I'm doing a lot of important things and I suppose feel appreciated because I wasn't feeling very appreciated at that time and it, it really gave me something to focus on as well to get through a bit of a dark time for me. Yeah, just sometimes when you go through a hard time, it may be traumatic, that might be a strong word, but it is those times which really promotes personal growth where you're forced to look at yourself Definitely. and um, change. So there's been a lot of things which have been a part of my journey until now where I've changed a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about your business, Dental South, you know, whether you want to talk about where where you are today or how it started, but, yeah, I'd love just to hear a bit bit of background about it I graduated from the University of Adelaide in 2012 and started working straight away in a dental clinic in the northern suburbs of Hobart and it was okay but I suppose my experience there as a new graduate and a young female was less than desirable and I was I was kind of exposed I suppose to a lot of um, sexism and age oppression which it took me a while to realise what was going on, but I just couldn't be somewhere like that and it was quite stressful. So I decided um, I might as well give it a go and start my own business. And so in 2014, at the age of 26, with about 18 months of experience, I thought I'll stuff it, I'll start my own business. And I started it in Kingborough, which is an area where I grew up, where a lot of people know me. Yeah, I'm really glad I did that because... I was really busy as soon as I opened my clinic in 2014 and the community really needed a dentist down that way as well. And my mother, she was working in the Pilbara in Port Hedland and she really wanted to move back to Tasmania but thought, oh, I better get a job at my age. And I said, oh, mum, actually, I might have a job for you. So she came back and, um, yeah, my mum's my business manager. She's amazing. She's actually got so such a big skill set I never realised she had so that's been a really good journey being able to work with my mum, which you might appreciate that working with your dad. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I work with my dad and my mum. So, oh. um, yeah, so mum came on board like a year or two years after I did. And uh, tell you what, what you're saying is just, yeah, is ringing so true for me as well because your parents sometimes, sorry, mum and dad, just a bit daggy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like oh, mum, you know. And dad, they just, uh, you, you think you know everything about them, but then you see them from a different angle, from a work perspective, and you're like, oh, wow, they've got all these skills and knowledge. And, uh, you know, I think that's really cool because a lot of family businesses is what's happening in my situation where dad's business, mum's business, whoever, and they bring on their their um, son or their daughter. But in your example, is your business, and you're saying, mum, come back. That's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, no, it's um, really cool. And I suppose... Um yeah, a part of me will always be very grateful to my mum because when I grew up, it, I grew up with my mum. She was a single mum and we were, we grew up quite poor and she did everything she could to make sure we got a pretty good education and were able to go to extracurricular activities after school and we lived in a housing commission home on Centrelink. I don't know how she did it. <laughs> so Yeah, there's a part of me which we eternally grateful to my mum and I'd do anything for my mum. Yeah, she's a very special lady. And she also is really good at managing humans and has helped me build my business. And you know yeah. what? This is what people don't understand sometimes. This is why it blows my mind that uh, men, the patriarchy, have been so 
against, I know things are changing now, which is good, but having women in the workplace and why there aren't more female CEOs, they bring up women are incredible and, at, like you said, leading humans, at managing humans. That's as mums, even if they aren't mums, you know, just the maternal nature, that they're incredible at doing that. Like that skill is so powerful and important. We should yeah. be raising them up and saying, hey, you're good at this. Definitely. I mean, and I think when I was a younger woman, when I was 26, I was very doubtful of my abilities to be a business owner, especially being in a kind of white male dominated profession like dentistry. I was, yeah, I was very worried what people would think of me and doubtful. But as soon as I um, started my business, I was so busy and so many people loved the fact there was a young female who'd started a business. She's not scary. She's opposite of what you imagine from a dentist. And I just, it's really great having your own business because you just realised all these buggers are in the same position as you once upon a time. They just don't speak so freely maybe about their struggles when they started, but everyone starts in the same spot. Definitely. And we're all just trying to find our way. So yeah, still always until you die. Exactly. You know, you started your um, business in your community where you, you grew up and now you've got two. Was yeah. it um, more challenging to open that second um, location or was it easier because you knew how to do it once before? Yeah, so I think I was a bit disillusioned with my first clinic going so well. It was going gangbusters and then I thought, oh, um, where else needs a clinic? I'll open a second clinic and um, Blattens Bay is a suburb nearby which doesn't have a dental clinic, uh, but also it's a neighbouring suburb to Kingston which has four clinics. So I didn't really think about the impact of that so much. Um, and opening this second clinic was a totally different experience. I think I was just really positive and hopeful. Oh, yeah, it's just going to be like the first one, but it was so much harder trying to keep an eye on things in two locations um, without having the foresight to realise you need to train up your leaders first so that they understand what you need so you don't need to be in two spots, didn't happen. And, um, yeah, so it took a while to build that business up and also um, a few months after I'd started my second business, we had torrential rains in Tasmania, which is really unusual. My business flooded. Yeah, I actually had to well, shut down for about three months, so I had to then start again. It just had a few barriers to get going, this one. Yeah. Just a couple by the sounds of it. Yeah, just a few and trying to do insurance claims and going through that. Yeah, that was an experience. But, um, yeah, very different having two businesses, and I think most business owners know that. Yeah. <laughs> First one is, yeah, it's, it's one thing to have one, Yeah. And um, so how, when was that that you started the um, Blackman's, was it Blackman's Bay, the second location you said? Yep. Yeah, so I opened that one in August 2017. Yep, and so obviously things have uh, corrected now and that's uh, still going, which is a good sign. Yeah, yeah, things are on track now, <laughs> which is good. Lovely. Now, Jess, I know you're very busy outside of your um, career as a, a dentist and obviously a business owner. Um, you know, what are some of the other things that you're involved with and that you're passionate about? Well, I suppose something I'm passionate about is um, learning about myself as an Aboriginal woman and learning about history. That's really important to me at the moment because um, 
yeah, I feel like when you when people know you are of Aboriginal heritage, they expect you to just know a lot all yep. of a sudden. Although in school we don't get taught anything really accurately, at least. And um, so I'm on a bit of a mission to really learn about um, my Aboriginal history, but also my New Island Island Pacific Islander history because I just find it really interesting learning about cultures which live in a non-capitalist way, which is so much more um, kind and human and inclusive and friendly to the environment, which are things which people actually desire so much but don't know how they can get there. I also, um, I suppose something I do a bit of outside of work is I do a bit of peer counselling, so a technique where you can do counselling with other people that know how to do it, which I found really invaluable with trying to, yes, come into my own, figure out what's important to me, become a much better leader and be truly kind of compassionate towards other people um, on a cellular level where I believe it, whereas I used to kind of think I was compassionate, but I wasn't. So, yeah, that's been really important with my growth. And something else I've been doing outside of work at the moment is I'm trying to work with the Royal Flying Doctors Service again to look at creating a scheme for adult Aboriginal Tasmanian people to get uh, dental care at my clinic bulk build. So I'm in the process of hopefully organising a scheme again. So when you work with Royal um, Flying Doctors Service, does that mean more regional, you know, people kind of not in the main metro areas? Um, Well, my hope would be that it'd be for like any Tasmania Aboriginals to access because I don't like the idea of excluding people depending on where you live. But I do live kind of more south, more rural, and there's um, quite a big community in like Huonville and Signet, which is good. Um, Yeah, I just hope the scheme gets up and running because there's always imaginary hurdles for these things. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, that does sound like you're – Know, involved in in quite a lot the peer that peer counseling sounds so interesting i haven't really heard about that very much how did you kind of come across that in the first place well i went to ogilvy high school and one of my old school teachers uh, pamela mears she was in charge of organizing our like student aboriginal camps back in the day called asper camp and um, that's how i first connected with her And she's probably one of those instrumental older people in my life that has just kept in touch with me um, since school. Yeah, actually in February 2017, before my life changed with all these accolades and recognitions, um, she said to me, oh, Jess, there's this um, (laughs) Indigenous leaders workshop at Bruni Island. You should come. And I trust her. So I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go to this thing. And anyway, it was kind of an introduction to this peer counselling technique and it was so weird because there were people just um, being really raw and like kind of releasing their emotions and crying and yelling. thought, what on earth is this madness? But, um, yeah, I suppose it's people just moving on stuff and being real so that they can think more clearly and I trusted her and did a 12-week course to learn how to do this technique and it's been really invaluable in my life to be able to regularly have sessions on things as they come up. It's a great sort of technique because you can do it with anyone else who knows how to do it and it's not a one-way 
um, like I'm a counsellor and you're a client, you've got to swap even time. So yep. you've got to listen to someone else. And that in itself is very therapeutic to um, hear, hey, this other person has stuff going on and really listen to someone else and with intent and care. It's very healing. I think really we'd be doing that if we weren't in such a busy society mm. anyway. Yep. So, yeah, that is really interesting. I'm just trying to think of my own experiences and try and um, understand it. So is it, a, and I'm probably simplifying this way too much, but is it similar to when, you know, you've, um, someone is, you, know, you are having that really um, honest, authentic conversation with someone and they're kind of pouring their heart out and then uh, they're asking whether it's advice or just to listen and then later on something maybe, you know, twigs in your mind and you go, oh, okay, I actually have something that I can draw a parallel to and hearing them talk about their feelings and thoughts and troubles is actually gives you, you know, the light bulb moments for yourself. Yeah, I suppose you get your own little light bulb moments listening to other people, but um, it's like it, you both, two people turn up whenever they a time comes up which suits with the intent of listening to the other person completely which yep. is not what many of us get in today's society and yep. there's a few rules like you can't interrupt you don't give advice no judgment and the the idea is everyone actually knows what they want to do <laughs> like yep. we all actually know what we want to do True. but we might be ashamed of speaking our truth or yep. there might be other stuff going on but if someone actually listens to you and it could just be a good friend or your grandma or people in your life that have really good attention for you and you're being honest you can move on a lot of stuff so you can start to think clearer and that's the whole idea of this peer counseling is to think more clearly um so that you can have a really big life and also think well of other people even if they're being really oppressive to you which has been really important to me otherwise I could be very easily confused that men are not good and People who are racist are not good. But now I understand a bit more that, hey, people have learned how to be oppressive. They really weren't born like that, which has been really important for my leadership and having a happier life. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that, yeah, that is when you've had those experiences of people, you know, oppression and, and, and racism being, that would be hard to kind of have a positive mindset. And so it sounds like, yeah, what you're talking about is really powerful. Yeah, it's a it's an ongoing pro um it's ongoing journey, but it's a tool. It's one of many tools for me to be able to try and think well and clearly, yeah. which is good. Well, um, I'm going to attempt to to segue this uh, probably a bit loose, <laughs> but uh, speaking of you know listening and and hearing and uh, and all that kind of stuff, can you tell me about your role being on the judging panel of our awards? And if you've been on judging panels of other awards. And what that is like when, you know, you've received an award yourself and then all of a sudden now you're on the other side kind of thinking, well, these people, I'm, the applications I'm reading, that's actually, that was me last year. Mm. Uh, well, I didn't realise how involved it was. <laughs> like, yeah, being on the other side of it, like the judges really, really take their time and read through every applicant's kind of history. And that made me feel really um I suppose, extra proud to receive that award, just realising how much effort people were putting into learning about everyone. Yeah, it was hard. There's just so many um, intelligent, um, 
what's the word, intelligent, progressive young people doing so much stuff, not for recognition, but just because it's important to them. Yeah. So, yeah, I found it really great, but also really tricky to figure out, well, who's more important? Because no one is more important. Mm. That's the truth. So true. And to come, and just, yeah, come up with a winner. Like, it's yeah, that was hard. One thing I've heard as in more of a, you know, a general statement, this kind of uh, merging people's statements together, but thought that sometimes when you've got two you know outstanding people who deserving to be named the winner and all of a sudden you're like trying to pick out small details that might set them apart and in some ways it can seem like nitpicking like yeah. oh this, this person um only volunteered 40 hours or something <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> and it's just so ridiculous but it is hard and that's where people do really care because they're just wanting to make sure that the person who they think is having the most impact is uh, is winning that award and it's it's a good thing it's a good problem I think to have yeah and I, I suppose with regards to having judges you just need to make sure you've got um, a diverse panel because otherwise if you've got too many people from similar backgrounds they're going to be biased and it's not their fault but that's what would happen yeah and obviously everyone has their own thoughts about what's important or what's important at the moment in the world um, but yeah, I know I just think a diverse panels, like the most important thing, background yeah. and age. Yeah, very true. And there's, um, so many things to factor in. So over the years that I've been involved since 2013, you know, I've seen the progression in what needs to be considered because it is so important. Yeah. Like I said, so initially it's all right, well, let's looking at the panel, let's make sure we've got a even spread of male and female, um, people on the panel. And then as you learn and you get experience and you're like, oh, no, we need people, as you said, from different backgrounds and ages. And then Mm. um, we need people with different cultural experience and cultural background, not just where they're from in the state, regional versus metro, all those kind of things. And this is um, all things that are hard. Usually if it's a really good thing, if it's really important, it's hard. And so I'm only saying it's hard because it's important to to look at this and make sure and uh, you've got people because you're right. You can't judge these awards properly without, or any awards, without people who come from all walks of life. You need to have that lived experience and that understanding. Yeah, definitely. That's important. So mm. um, one of the uh, the judges that you had arranged this year for your category, the Dental South First Nations Award, was uh, Anthony King. And yeah. uh, he is a great, great legend of a person. And uh you know, it was great to, I met him many years ago to see him again. And uh, he's just so knowledgeable and considered. And yes, yeah, so it's great to have him as part of the panel too. Where did you know him from? Well, funnily, um, many years ago when we were growing up in high school and I was at Ogilvy High School, my little sister was as well. My little brother, he went to Newtown High School. Yeah, he was having a bit of trouble at school and The first time we connected with Anthony was um, him sort of just being a bit of a mentor and just a male in my little brother's life and spending some time with him, just talking with him. And that's how my mum knew him. Yeah, my brother not having a dad around, um, yeah, used to get in some fights and didn't really like school. But Anthony was just, yeah, a really nice guy that had time for my little brother, which is what he needed, just someone to talk to. Yep. Mm. So yeah. that would have been like back in 2003 or something. Yeah. Yep. And then you just stayed in touch over all the years? Uh, a little bit. It was more so when the awards came around. Um, I 
I remembered his name, but I couldn't remember his face. And I spoke to my mum and she's like, oh, that's the guy which helped Isaac. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so you saw him at the awards night? Yeah, I saw. I think I saw him at the awards night, but he also called for some reason. I think maybe he was, I don't know, I can't remember. But it was around the awards time I reconnected yeah. with him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking about yeah. the awards night and the event in 2017, I know it's uh, last year was worth about five years, so I know I'm asking a hard question here, but can you re- recall what the event was like back in, as you said at the start, April 2017? Uh, yeah, so I did the application online and that was quite involved and my old school professor from Adelaide Uni he nominated me and I thought oh yeah I'll fill this down I'll go but I just really didn't I suppose I just didn't really realize how much work I had done and how people had appreciated it because I remember distinctly going missing out on the pre-rehearsal at 6 p.m I was just late or something and yeah, I remember going there and seeing Mitch McPherson outside. He's like, oh, are you excited? Are you excited? And I was just like, I just said something really dumb, like, oh, I'm just excited to, you know, have a free dinner, like really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like I wasn't thinking at all. Plus I was also going through a horrible totally. breakup. It was a bit stressful. And in um, your defence, free dinner is pretty good. So Yeah, yeah. Um, but I went, remember just being inside and just people coming up to me like, have you written a speech? I'm like, no, like, well, these are the sponsors just in case. It's just good to know. And so I wrote it on the napkin <laughs> and um, yeah, then I won the health category and then I was like, oh, okay, I'm glad I had something written down on a napkin. And then after that, it was just weird. I feel like something was up. People were like, have you written a speech? Like after I'd won the health award and I said, no, and I hadn't written a speech and my speech when I accepted it was so long and so so bad I had a cold and yeah it was just this weird surreal experience like I really didn't expect it yeah well yeah I I'm I wasn't there at the event but I can imagine you're being harsh on yourself because uh you spoke so so well last year we had to do the online event uh of course and uh you know you presented your award and you spoke really really well I might have to dig it up and uh, put a link to that speech (laughs) in the, uh, the show notes for this episode um, because, uh, yeah, I remember it being, you know, quite moving um, and just, you know, we were in the office and uh, trying to manage the, the background stuff. And so typically, and this is not a, a slight on anyone else whatsoever, with the online event, without getting too boring, we'd like on the phones the whole time because we're text messaging the next people, making sure they're up because not everyone looked at the Zoom chat, um, making sure, you know, everything's in place. We've got the social media that we have to post straight after the announcement's been made. And uh, everyone just kind of went really silent in the the boardroom where we were running the event from during that speech. So, well, one thing I have learned since 2017 is have a speech, just in case. Have a speech. Yeah. But for these uh, awards as a sponsor, I'm very, very proud of being the sponsor for the um, First Nations Award, and I always like to just have something thought provoking to say just to start planting some seeds in people's minds which haven't really thought about history and what life is like for First Nations people because that's just one little opportunity I get now. Now I'm yeah. not doing much public speaking and, yeah, I, I do put a lot of thought into those speeches, especially since 2017. Yeah. Well, it is good mm-hmm. to kind of take an opportunity to, um, like you said, highlight something people didn't know. So one thing I didn't know about Tasmania is just how brutal for lack of a better word the 
colonization that the people who came to, and to Tasmania was, I didn't realize how many people were killed. And yeah. It, so, from it, what I understand, it, worse in in many cases than what occurred in the mainland. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, sort of the invasion started in the early 1800s and there were about 100 clans in Tasmania and nine nations. So Tassie was sort of split up to nine distinct nations. So people people that lived in those nations were very different. Um, There were thought to be up to 7,000 people. And then a few decades in the future, there was only like 60 left. Wow, that's Um, Oh my yeah. God. Heartbreaking. And yeah. It is heartbreaking. And just things like within about 10 years of sort of British invasion, like the most important breeding grounds or I'm um, sorry, hunting grounds for the Aboriginal people in the Midlands was occupied by nearly one million sheep. So if you can imagine just the devastation on um, resource and culture and practice. It was just so hopeless. A book that everyone should read, even if you're not from Tassie, um, is a book called Tasmanian Aborigines by Lyndall Ryan. My friend Jacob Prenn, he's a academic at University of Tas. I said to him, oh, I really want to do Aboriginal studies. And he said, oh, Jess, uh, the curriculum is a little bit funny here. It's kind of written by white guys. Just read this book and if everyone reads the book, they'll get their head around just how brutal uh, Tasmanian history is. But the Tasmanian Aboriginals really, really fought hard to survive. Yeah, that's why I just think we really need to stop not acknowledging First Nations people. There's no public holiday where the whole of Australia stops and thinks about why we've got a public holiday. Yep. And celebrating like Anzac Day, which is very important as well, it's a bit of a knife to the heart. Just these are the important lives to remember, but we don't all stop and remember Aboriginal lives. Mm. This is why we live here how we do because of invasion. Yep. And uh, you touched on it earlier, but in, in school also we're just not educated on the full history of our country. And so... I'll never forget yeah. being uh, probably early 20s. I think it would have been past a teenager and uh, chatting with some people who are backpacking here in Australia, Europeans. Yeah. And uh, just saying, I remember saying this um, to them like, oh, man, so cool being from Europe. I wish I was from a country that had more history. Mm. And I just didn't know about our history. Yeah. That we had such incredible culture and history. And uh, you know what I mean? So if people learn that growing up, then it just uh, yeah. set the table for a way of better way of, haven't got a better way of saying it. But We just need to um, acknowledge history. And Australia has a really bizarre way of, if we don't talk about it, it didn't happen. It's a really weird colonial way of oppressing people and also not healing the First Nation people, which, by the way, they didn't all get killed. We're still here. And it just means that people, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, can't connect. And then if you don't connect, you can't care. So yeah. a big part of that is just um, teaching history correctly to all the young people because we're all, the, black history or white history, it's all your history. I mean, I think we need to take a big leaf out of New Zealand's book 
the way that they honour and appreciate their first people is so different and we're only a stone throw away. Like they've got um, Watangi Day, the signing of the treaty in 1840, and um, the whole nation stands still to think about that. And as of next year, they're going to have another public holiday, The I think it's Matariki uh, holiday, which will be the first public holiday to just recognise the Maru people Mm. and just acknowledge their unique shared identity. And when you see white New Zealanders do the haka with such heart, they're so proud. They're so, so proud. But then in Australia, you see Adam Goods at one AFL game do a traditional dance and Australians have a breakdown. Yeah. They don't know what this is, what's going to happen. Like is as our culture going to be taken away? No one would want their culture to be taken away. Like we've got a long way to go in Australia. Yeah. So I'm very passionate about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's good that, that yeah, your passion really does shine through. Um, it's great. Mm. Uh, I agree with what you're saying about New Zealand. I, I really like how New Zealand incorporates the, and my pronunciation is terrible, the Maori words and language into various things. One thing I like on um, Triple J, the radio station, sometimes um, they do highlight, yeah, certain little words here and there. And this great guy uh, in Adelaide, an artist, he's nominated a lot of people in Young Achievement Awards over the years, includes in his email signature greetings and then a little mini glossary down the very bottom um, that kind of explains what some of those words the the yeah. um, translation is yeah little things like that that's just really cool yeah so many things like that like even Australia finally doing the national anthem in a dialect of Aboriginal language last year for the rugby game was such a big deal it's a first step Australia but we need to change the lyrics because they're quite bad um yeah whereas you know new zealand have been singing in the native tongue first yeah for ages sorry to harp on about adelaide but just uh i'm very familiar with that program because i managed it for a long time and um two years ago we had one of the finalists um was a, a musician and we uh invited her to perform the national anthem at the event um and she said yeah i accept but uh, um you know i just personally don't agree with the lyrics yeah. can i please change and i thought oh yeah well, why not and again i didn't really uh just being a little bit naive didn't really realize i started looking into it and i'm like okay well apparently and this is the conversation i had with her we can't change the lyrics and call it the national anthem so the way we got around it was we said um and now um here to perform uh, a song which is inspired by the anthem and that's the way apparently we could uh because we had government representatives attendance so we yeah we got around it that way and she um sung her own version of it i think it was really good i think people yeah. were, it raised some questions that were healthy questions yeah and i mean australia i don't know why but people are very scared of change so it is okay if one day we just make a new anthem you don't have to keep doing things because that's the way it's always been done because if yeah. that's the case that's madness like we've got to change and i think things are very hopeful for the future because of all the young people coming through. But I also don't think it's okay to put the weight of the world on our youth's shoulders. We need to figure out when we gave up about caring about other people and actually be allies or at least start doing our work again as an adult in our society and start caring. 
yeah, I think that's a, a good point. If we just if we lead with that, we're probably uh, going to be in a good position. Yeah. Can I ask you the question and putting you in the spot here from a small business owner's perspective, still on the same topic of, um, you know, we need to make changes and positive changes because small businesses are so, such a big part of Australia. How do you think as small business owners we can make positive changes? Um, in regards to? In regards to, um, you know, as you said before, being better allies, um, respecting our First Nations people and, yeah. yeah, working towards just being a bit more equitable. Well, I think just really simple things could be uh, implemented, like, for example, everybody knowing what land they're on and whenever they start a business meeting, they lead by, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge, and acknowledgement is different to welcome. You can only do a welcome if you are um, if you are from that area and you are a First Nations person, yeah. which the majority of us would, in that case would be doing acknowledgement. So things okay. like that, that doesn't cost any money. But it just shows good leadership um, and it's changing people's idea of how things proceed in a respectful way. Because, I mean, there's so many different schemes and things where you can donate money, but we don't really need money. We need people's behavioural changes and respect. So, yeah, as for other sort of ways businesses can help, I think just get your hands on some good history books and gift your staff with those sort of things. I gave all my staff um, Tasmanian Aborigines by Lyndall Ryan for their Christmas present last year. Yep. Yeah, everyone's yeah, just got to do their own work. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, at the start of the episode, I said I need to look that up myself. And so I did look it up while we were chatting. And, uh, yeah, for me, it's the Bunurong people. So, like I said at the start, with not Warren, it's not Warrantry, it's Bunurong. So I think that's that's a good idea. It's a good, easy, anyone can do that. Anyone can just Google that. And uh, I think that's good advice. Don't have to worry about like, well, how am I going to change the world? Just take small steps, make positive small changes that you are in control of. Yeah, and I mean, there's usually um, Indigenous associations nearby. So something businesses can always do is connect with them. And that can just be as easy as following their Facebook page and see what events are on. And start inviting your work colleagues to these events. Like, hey, I don't know anything, but I want to learn. Cool. No one's going to be upset with you because you don't know anything yet. Yeah, good advice. So um, speaking of uh, events and things like that, you know, we do have the Tasmanian Young Achiever Awards event coming up very, very shortly. You know, and don't give anything away, but have you started looking at your speech for that event? (laughs) Yeah, you already have? Yeah, I I jot down little points in my phone during the day wherever I am when things come to me because I'm constantly just trying to understand mainly non-Indigenous people better. How can I connect with them so that they care? So that changes every year. So I've got some thoughts up my sleeve. Yes. Awesome. And there's four wonderful finalists in the Dental South First Nations People Achievement Award. So for those interested, uh, head to awardsaustralia.com and you can easily find the links to the Tasmanian Young Achiever Awards and, and check out the profiles in those four young people. Yeah, there's some uh, really cool young people. And, you know, as you said, we don't want to put pressure on them. But uh, one thing I always like to say is that they're not the future leaders. They're, they're actually leading right now. And that's yeah. um, one thing that we love to, uh, to kind of celebrate through the awards. Definitely. So, Jess, before I let you go, 
I did want to ask you personally, who or what inspires you? Mm, that's a hard question. So, I mean, there's people that, in, that inspire me who have helped me, like my old school teacher, Pamela Mears, my mum, who fought so hard when we had we really had no money, but she really got us through childhood. Yeah, I think just people that are trying, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be anything big, but just people that are trying to make changes in their life for the better, to better understand people. So pretty much most young people, most of the most of the young women, especially in my life, they're all trying really hard um, to speak up more in our society and be proud. But I mean, I'm I'm just really proud of lots of the young people come through, like Toby Thorpe, he's so cool. And Grace Tame, she's so cool. Like there's so many cool young people that I think are inspiring. I don't know. There's so many. I can't put a name on one. Yep. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting Toby recently. And uh, one thing that really struck me with him is that he doesn't waste words. He is, uh, you know, initially when I met him, I thought he was quite um, softly spoken. But uh, actually he just, he's listening and he's taking things in and then he times it really well. And he, when he speaks, it's very considered and very intelligent. And uh, every, people listen because he's very knowledgeable. And so, yeah, he's, I think, a really good leader. Yeah, he's actually running for Labor um, at the moment, which I've never known anyone as young as him to run, but um, he'll be mm. getting my vote. <laughs> yep, yeah, I didn't realise that actually. So, yeah, that's cool. Good to hear. Yeah. Well, Jess, thanks for your time um, today. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to, yeah, seeing who the winner of the uh, Dental South, sorry, the Dental South First Nations People Achievement Award will be. Uh, and for anyone listening and interested, like I said, check out the Facebook page, uh, which is Tasmanian Young Achiever Awards. You'll see um, video content on there. You'll see great pictures. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll be great. Last thing I always ask is how can people connect with you or, or find out more about you, know, you and, and Dental South if they'd like to? Uh, they can just look up the Dental South on Facebook or on Instagram or just look up the website www.dentalsouth.com.au. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Josh. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com for more details. Until next week, stay safe and remember, together 
we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.